Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host, Alex Ballinger. With me this week is our producer, Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm good, yeah. Uh, didn't say back this time. Didn't say. <laughs> You've said it now, though. <laughs> You've ruined it. Right. Let's get on with this week's show before we start rambling about Matt being back again. <laughs> <laughs> Always back. Really interesting show for you this week. Before we get started, don't forget, usual housekeeping stuff. Follow us on Twitter at IBL Podcast, where we post links to stories and you can give us some feedback about the show. Then also rate, review and subscribe to us. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Get involved in the conversation and make sure you get the show every week as well. First things first, we are going to be speaking to our political editor, Esme Ashcroft, who is looking at how we can reduce congestion in the centre of Bristol. There are some really outlandish ideas like parking charges and congestion zones so Ez is going to talk us through a few of those ideas and see if any of them will actually work and then next up on the show we are going to speak to reporter Alex Wood who you might remember from a few weeks ago was talking to us about whether Channel 4 will come to Bristol and set up a base so we could be getting new shows kind of like Deal or No Deal but not Deal or No Deal because that one's gone now sadly but a bit maybe like they'll that. reboot it Re- they could have rebooted it but there's been an update in the Channel 4 in Channel 4 story so Alex is going to talk us through it but we'll also talk a little bit about campaigning journalism and what it means when Bristol Live gets behind a cause in Bristol and then finally on this week's show forgotten I've forgotten who it is oh come on do I have a third one I don't know, do you? Christian Davis. <laughs> oh, he's not going to be happy about that. He's so mad about he's that. He's not going to be happy about oh, that He's not all. been on the show for ages. I know, um, and he's trying to nick your job. Yeah, and he wants my job, yeah. and I've forgotten him. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Finally, on this week's show, we are going to speak to reporter Christian Davis about breaking news and how we cover incidents as they happen. Right, that's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Hi, my name's Esme Ashcroft and I'm the politics editor for Bristol Post slash Bristol Live. So, Es, we are here to talk about congestion. Yes. On the roads. On the roads. Not nasal, as you have already pointed out. But congestion in Bristol is not great. Is that fair to say? It is appalling. It is pretty bad. Bristol is not a good place to try and drive around. No. Or, as a coincidence or as a connection of that, walk or cycle or Mm. do anything, really, because it affects everything, doesn't it? It does. So... There are some ideas floating around that could be controversial, I suppose, it's yeah. fair to say. So last week we had the publication of the draft transport plan for Bristol, Bristol City Council. Now, just a flag, it is a draft, so everything needs to be taken with, you know, this very early on pinch of salt. But the two main kind of aspects which came out of it in terms of congestion are the potential for a workplace car parking levy and the biggest hint yet that we could be on the road to getting a congestion charge for Bristol. Now, I think to these both of these policies or suggest you know draft policies will be setting off alarm bells with a lot of people that drive to work, won't they? Because one way or another, they are likely to cost you money. By you're going to pay. You're going to pay. You're going to yeah. pay. And you're going to pay a lot. <laughs> um, so let's start with the. Uh, parking fees then this is quite an interesting one I haven't actually heard of this idea before but I was reading through your story and it seems like it could run into some opposition on a couple of different levels yeah so if I explain what it is so a workplace car parking levy basically means for all businesses which have car parking spaces in Bristol which they either own or rent they would have to pay a annual charge to have those parking spaces and um, the council says the company could either absorb the cost themselves or they could pass it on to employees. And the aim of it is to get less people driving into work and more people using kind of public transport or walking or cycling. How has that worked in other places then? I understand it's been adopted in other places. So in 2013, um, Nottingham City Council actually rolled this out and they charged any company with 11 spaces or more. Um, The current annual fee for them is £402 per space per year, and that works out to about £1.60 per day. Now, Nottingham say that this has raised um, millions of pounds, around £44 since its inception, and that money is ring-fenced to go into other congestion kind of fighting um, kind of schemes. But it's also been used to help... um, bolster the the city's train station that sounds 
it's like a lot of money to an individual, isn't it, as well? £400 per year per space. Sounds mm. like it would be a lot of money if that money, if that charge is passed on to workers. Because if you think, you know, you, you figure out your yearly wage and then you're going to have to basically dock at least 400 already just for the parking spaces, aren't you? But then it seems like a lot less in the kind of in the context of a big company that own a multi you know that may own a car park or a multi-story mm. car park so is there the possibility that the companies could pay it themselves or that it could be yes. passed on yeah it, i mean the council at this point is saying either or is on the table and i think that's what nottingham have adopted i mean i think the perhaps the biggest issue which people will be um raising is is the kind of inequality aspect of it because obviously if you live fairly close to the city centre say in I don't know Clifton or Bedminster or St George then you have that option anyway you could just walk in and it would be free but if you're commuting say from South Glass like Thornbury or Bath or Weston then because the public transport isn't at a at a point where it's good enough for it to be reliable then people are just going to say well you're penalising me for living further away but still wanting to work in the city centre. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest sticking point for people. I, as someone that gets the train every day from Weston, I can tell you I haven't paid full price for a ticket for six months because they're always late and delayed. Like that, I never get home on time. I don't think I've got home on time one day at the, in the last six months. Or into work on time. Or into work I'm on joking. time. I'm yeah. joking. We've, we've noticed this. Yeah. <laughs> it does raise the question. Free spirit. <laughs> it does raise the question, doesn't it, that are people going to make the decision not to drive to work or are they just going to think, oh, are, I'm just going to have to take the hit? Dri- are the people driving to work really the people that don't need to drive to work? Because has anyone driven in Bristol? Has anyone tried to drive into Bristol? Like, what I don't it, understand is why anyone drives anywhere in Bristol, you would to be need, honest. It's an if absolute you, nightmare. If you had to drive, you have to drive. Like th- Those are the only people that I, I can't really see the point in if you live in Bristol. Well, I don't think the figures bear that out, though. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it is a majority of journeys in Bristol made are under five miles or something like that. They're really short journeys that could be made easier and quicker if you were on public transport or cycling or even walking potentially where mm. it would it would take more cars off the road and there'd be less congestion and less air pollution so it'd have all those benefits as well but then also it would cost you less as well I think that's one of the key things that isn't really that isn't plugged to people enough sorry is that it can save you money if you don't mm. drive can't it if you have the choice to not drive you should probably consider it because it will save you money if you can get in another way I mean if if the end goal is to keep people or get less cars commuting to work that live close uh why don't the why doesn't the council just say that companies that have parking spaces are not allowed to give those parking spaces to people that live within a certain i guess that area? would be quite hard to police i suppose the argument from would be from the companies that why should the company be punishing their own staff if you see what i mean i feel like it's under the remit of the council to put in legislation rather than mm. to tell businesses to penalise their staff so b- businesses might be like right we'll do it but, if you, but they're penalising them to. anyway that's that's what I don't understand that like charging it, you know say it's it, I think it's unrealistic to say if you've got like 30 spaces and they all cost £400 a year to then say oh yeah you can absorb it as a company what company's going to do that well they might rather do that than put those put that money onto their staff you know mm. because it's, it's a lot easier for staff to I mean I think it will discourage people, but where, it's whether discouraging people is, is whether that's the best way of going yeah. or going about I think it. Along with it, we will probably see other incentive schemes, such as kind of more incentives for park and ride. So if you're living out and commuting in from like Western and things like that, you will be encouraged to ditch your car at the edge of the city and then get a bus into the city centre. So I think we'll be seeing more things like that pop up with it. I think you do need to see an improvement to other things as well, don't you, in Bristol? I mean, particularly things like the bus services can be notoriously bad and quite expensive as well, you know, compared to the cost of driving somewhere where if you consider the, the cost of petrol, it's probably a lot less than it would be the cost mm. of a return into town, basically, on the, the buses. The council, I think, would argue, and I'm not speaking on behalf of them, of course, but they would argue that it's a, it's almost a chicken and egg situation. You need to reduce congestion to improve reliability. So I think they're trying. 
They're trying the hardest. And they're trying to come up with some inventive ideas. That is the important ideas. thing here, isn't it? Is that the council yeah. are looking at, yeah. looking at some ways of reducing congestion. Has there been any response to this this draft um, policy yet, this suggestion? of? Well, the response, we've had a lot of response to the article online. Um, lots of people are concerned about the cost that it might have on them individually. I think they, a lot of the people who've responded have said yes, there is a congestion problem in Bristol. Something needs to be done. But I personally can't afford to pay to park. So, I mean, whether the council will listen to that, I'm not sure. And then the other suggestion from the council is the congestion zone. Congestion zone. Now, this has proved much more contentious, I have to say. So, just to kind of outline where we are, there are two charging zonal schemes kind of in existence. The first is a clean air zone and the second is a congestion zone. So a clean air zone, the aim of that is to improve air quality and reduce air pollution. Bristol has to create a clean air plan by the end of this year and that may involve some form of charging zone and it might be for just kind of transport vehicles such as like taxis and lorries or it could be for private motorists as well. We're not sure that scheme is going to be kind of played out in October. A congestion zone is a different beast. Now that is to reduce congestion, as the name suggests, and that would be a blanket charge for all vehicles, all cars, bikes, you know, what have you. So two different things. We're definitely getting some form of clean air plan, which may be a zone. We have no real kind of indication as to when or whether a congestion zone will come into place. But in this joint transport um, study, the draft version, congestion zones are mentioned, which is kind of a little bit of an indicator that the council are kind of dipping its toe into the waters as to maybe looking into whether that might be something for the future in Bristol. Do you think it's likely then? Is it something that could be implemented in Bristol? I don't... Well... I'm not sure. So congestion zones in Bristol have been spoken about since the 70s. So this isn't a new idea for Bristol or the country, because obviously you look at London as the most famous congestion zone. I think that it's ramping up a little bit. Things are looking a little bit more serious in terms of how, you know, this could be implemented. Also, I think if you're putting in the infrastructure to manage a clean air zone, then it wouldn't be too hard to kind of upgrade that or make it a multi-use to implement a congestion zone as well. So I think we're probably slightly closer than we've ever been, but we're still at the kind of early stages. There's been no suggestions as to where the zone might span from and to or how much it could cost. But a 2013 study said that if um, drivers were charged £5 a day, then it could raise up to £2 million in Bristol. And I suppose there's no question really as to whether it would work to reduce congestion because if you consider London basically whenever I'm visiting London the the congestion charge area is just a no-go for me mm. you know I won't go into it because I think I'm mm. not going to I'm not going to be charged to it but then also London has a much more wholesome um a much more not wholesome also what I'm looking for a much more holistic transport system mm. where you can get from the outskirts to the centre you've got tubes yeah. there's buses there's overgrounds as well tickets which are multi you know you can use on multimodal different types of transport you know it's much easier to get around in London and the transport is much more reliable so Bristol would certainly need to improve its public transport offering before we could get to kind of the the place where London is also there have been quite a few concerns raised by the Tory group saying that you know this is really going to punish people from lower income um, kind of backgrounds because you know you might need a car. You might be a single mum from Hartcliffe who needs a car to get to work and to take your kids to school. But you know, that mum might not be able to afford five pounds a day to go into town. And there is a fear that actually by introducing a congestion zone, you will be making car use a privilege of the of the wealthy. Have there any been any claims of the council being anti-driver and anti-car in all of this as well? Because that's something you hear bandied yeah, around a bit. I think it's bandied around a lot. Um and I think they are simultaneously accused of being anti-car, anti-driver, anti-cyclist, anti-pedestrian, anti-everyone. Um, I There is nothing that I've seen personally to suggest that. I think the council is really getting concerned about air quality and congestion and wants to try and make 
moving through the city centre and the city as a whole much easier. And that's not just for health um, reasons, although that is, you know, probably a big factor. It's also for connectivity for businesses and the economy. You know, people need to be able to get move move freely across and through the city to be able to conduct business. I mean, you only have to do your commute, you know, for a week and you'll see that it's the same hotspots that are congested, you know, and you sit in the same congestion every day and you think there is something wrong with this, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I do every morning I do a traffic roundup for our live blog and pretty much every sentence that I write is usual congestion yeah. in, you know, it is just mm-hmm. the same. And so I doubt that anyone in Bristol would argue that there isn't a congestion problem, mm-hmm. but there the ways that you cut down on congestion are likely to be unpopular with a lot of people because they will impact your day-to-day life, won't they? Mm, absolutely. And and ultimately, everything comes at price and there is a cost attached to all of these things. You know, central government funding is dwindling and the city council has to work within an ever-reducing pot. So how are these schemes going to be funded? Well, presumably through taxes. So we could be seeing a tax increase if these go ahead. Also, though, just to say the um, money raised from both the workplace parking levy, potential um, congestion zone, in the draft transport plan, it says that these would, the, the profits made would go into further transport schemes, such as the controversial and very shiny Bristol Underground project. So what's the next step for these policies and for the draft plan? So the next step is a consultation. As I said at the beginning, you know, no firm plans, no dates as to when they could be introduced, but there will be a cons- public consultation on the draft transport plan in the autumn. So that's the chance for everybody in the city to come forward and, and give their opinions as to this. Obviously, the council will be looking at, you know, expert advice too, and there'll be some transport modelling. Um, so, yeah, I'm imagining that their decisions will be made as a result of all of the evidence put before them. Ez, thanks very much. No worries. You can't deny that Bristol has a congestion problem and thanks very much to Ez for coming to talk to us about some of the ideas to reduce the number of cars on our roads. Right, let's jump into the next conversation with Alex Wood who's going to be talking about Channel 4 in Bristol. Right, so the icebreaker question, the much fabled icebreaker question. Nervous, I am. Why the hell don't you drink hot drinks? It's so weird. Oh, <laughs> I knew this was going to come. I had a feeling it was only a matter of time. Well, I've called out Joe Smith on right. not making rounds. On the record, me. I drink hot drinks. There's no evidence of that. At work, I have this thing that I come in and I'm strictly on a water kind of, I would say diet, but I'm, it's not a thing like that. It's just I drink water at work, stay hydrated. <laughs> just don't get the I'd like a tea or coffee feeling. Might leave the office and I might get a coffee, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm walking somewhere and I'm, yeah, I'll have a coffee or whatever. But so at confusing. work, at my desk, it's just a th- in my head. And then when I get home, I'll have a brew. When I'm up at breakfast, I'll have a brew. But is it tea? How do you drink tea? How do you take it? Milk and sugar. Tea, milk, no sugar. Um, mm. Classic. Girlfriend would say I like it quite milky. Mm. <laughs> I think I'm the same. Yeah. Uh, so you don't like tea, is what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's what I. Yeah, I don't really like tea, so I, I think don't. I quite like it. I, I like to mask the taste of my tea with a lot of milk. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I don't know how to come back. To, yeah, I look two brews a day and maybe a coffee. Do ah, you not? Because I get into work and I just think. I need a coffee to make it through the day. I need the caffeine. I don't think I really like coffee at all. I just need <laughs> some need. sort of caffeine hit. Mindset. Not get that. And then tea. Tea is ca- is when I've had too much coffee and I need caffeine light. You I need caffeine, need, but need I don't something. need like a coffee caffeine. It's a mindset. Mm. It's a, if, if, if you just substitute that coffee out for a little, you know, a couple of litres of water... Yeah, then, there's a uh, bottle of water yeah, on the exactly. table, by the way. <laughs> just, just, just Alex is just teasing tap. me. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's weird. No one's ever been able to understand this. Is it, has it been a long time? What, me doing the... Doc? Yeah, you're not drinking tea and work. Since I've been a reporter. Weird. I know, which... It, it, what about previous jobs? Would you drink tea at previous jobs? Well, previous well, jobs You included, worked in Screwfix before this. <laughs> yeah. Previous jobs include, worked at Tetley's. included being a barman, so water and coffee and tea was never really on the option uh, of being... Yeah. Um, which is fine by me. Do you drink at work? 
uh, here. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't possibly comment <laughs> on the brown bag that's mysteriously next to my cupboard. So why have you always got a hip flask and a bum bag? I don't know. <laughs> I went to a meeting the other day and someone said, oh, do you want, do you want a pint? And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. He's like, aren't reporters always supposed to be drinking? Like, literally, no, I, I barely drink, I to think, be honest. I think this, this that's, I swear that goes back to like an era that, that the glory days of, you know, typing a print, you know, a proper typer and like, smoke filling the upper layer of the room and I don't know what generation that would have been as a journalist apparently the BBC used to have a bar on every floor <sighs> in like the the main broadcasting house could you imagine oh, we'd never get anything done <laughs> we'd get anything done I don't know how they did uh, so water water stick to water Woody's with water stay right. hydrated stay kids. hydrated so you can tweet Woody how weird he is at Mr Alex Wood <laughs> yes you can and if you if you actually I reckon there's more of us out there than you reckon the non-hot drinkers this could be at work. this could be a movement I think there's so specific. With the silent though. majority, you know, <laughs> you hear people doing tea rounds at work and you just put your head down. But that's there's, why, there's more that's of us what, out there than you that's think. That's what annoys me about this whole thing is that it's one less person to do tea rounds. That's why, because <laughs> yeah. I kind of go around and do tea rounds and go, right, I'll get you one because I know you'll get me one back and stuff. And Woody, no, don't go anywhere near I him. can't do that. I, I don't make tea for people at work. We noticed. Yeah, <laughs> even I'm not it's a teacher. Like, I know it's, it's been raised I, with your superiors. I, I don't do it. The anxiety is too much because because uh, someone makes you tea. I, I say no to everyone as well because someone makes you tea and then I'm like I owe them and then wait how many did they make me last week? Do I I need to do it and I can't that. deal with it. And I'm like bit, no, I'm just that. staying out of it. It's like rounds at the bar. I'm not interested. I'll get my own drinks. I've got my own money. It's it's very, very, at least you're not political. making the drinks at the bar, like. As in, I understand the the anxiety aspect. Yeah, a, li- yeah. a little bit. Also, I see it. I you are see it. you're at a disadvantage if you're a reporter as well because my friends do real jobs and they make quite a bit more money than me. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd be like, "Let's do rounds tonight." No, let's not do rounds tonight. <laughs> yeah, guys, let's just uh, another one. Turn I'll, it, turn I'll it. get mine. Yeah, I'll I'll have a shandy. <laughs> <laughs> they still charge you Although, like full, full price pint. for shandies. Yeah, yeah, full, yeah pint. full price. I've been ripping myself it's off. A, for yeah, all you'd these think years. it'd be half half a, a pint and half a lemonade, but they get you with a full pint price. Yeah, but you could places. just buy half a pint and half a lemonade. Ooh, we had this conversation. You, you do a what I do, ago. you could sneak in cans in your pocket. Oh yeah, red yeah. stripe. Yeah. I mean, sneak I'll be honest, guys. Stripe, yeah. I do feel like this whole beginning part has gone off on a massive tangent. Yeah, yeah we're here what, to talk about something else, yeah. but I've kind what, of forgot what, what it was. Should we get going? Yeah, should we? <laughs> right, let's do it. Woody, what, I can't remember what you were here to talk about. Can you tell us? <laughs> uh, you invited me. Um, <laughs> Channel 4. We're here to talk about the heartbreak that... Well, no, not the heartbreak, but the... It's heartbreak. It's, we're gutted. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was I was just saying to you before we started recording, I was actually away on holiday when we had the news that Channel you've 4... You've been leading the coverage on this as well, haven't you? It's been your baby that you sort of, you've been putting yeah. together all the articles in the lead up. A little bit, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the backstory to, I suppose, Channel 4... Uh, we had it on the podcast what a few few weeks well, it's actually a little while ago now. Yeah, I think a few, it was a few weeks ago maybe few a few weeks back ago, yeah. at that time Channel 4 was was looking at new HQs and thinking about places to move out of London to Bristol was on the list and everyone rightly was quite excited by that prospect um, and yeah as part of that we were doing some bits and bobs um, just general coverage trying to sort of lend some support to attract Channel 4 and then I was tasked with doing a quite a large long read as you were a, a feature piece um talking to loads of different people from creative industries about why it would be a good thing to have channel four here and that was to sort of uh go uh on the same day when channel four came down for a visit which um took place yeah uh last month or in june it might have been actually now we're in august but yeah while i was away Typical, always comes in when you're away and the story you've been following for all this time. I saw it and I just thought, I mean, I wasn't, I have to say, I wasn't totally surprised that we, I was disappointed Bristol didn't make the cut for the HQ, but we were on a list of some very, you know, big cities who equally have, you know, And Bristol has always been really advantaged with a lot of industries as well isn't it particularly mm. creative industries we've got a, a really strong pedigree of it and a part of channel 4's reasoning was they wanted somewhere different didn't they? they wanted somewhere where channel 4 could come in and make a huge difference rather than making just just a big difference yeah. i suppose that was that was one of the big things people kept shouting about was bristol you know it has had or it does continue to have a strong bbc presence itv west country are based here but you know, they are often looked upon as, as mainstream media, essentially. And Channel 4 has always been that kind of slightly uh, slightly removed from the mainstream bubble um, and prides itself on giving a voice to kind of unrepresented communities. And that 
sense of you know giving a voice to the underdog um was something that a lot of people i spoke with kept shouting about as being something bristol is known for and it's weird a city being known for something as niche as that but when you look at how diverse the city is and and we spoke about that in the last podcast how varied it is and the opportunities here for people of all you know walks backgrounds whatever to succeed and of course you get that in other places too but bristol's really become a home for for people that you know may not have felt at home in other places and i think that was something we were quite keen to portray as being you know this perfect harmony with what channel four is really about and why we would be such a a good place for them so not making the final grade hurt just a little bit (laughs) um but there is some good news in the sense that we're not entirely out of the running for a Channel 4 presence in the city because um, we've missed out on the HQ, but now Channel 4 has got regional hubs. As part of the Move Out of London initiative, it has to look at other places to set up these sort of satellite stations, essentially, you know, slightly smaller than the, the HQ, but will still be a presence. And Bristol is still in the running for those. So. And how can that still make a big difference to Bristol as well? Will that still be sort of a big coup for the I, city? I, I think so. Yeah, and I'm I'm talking now really off off the cuff because I don't know the finite details of the hub size, staffing numbers, where they might be in the city. Um, but I think you know we we made the point with the idea of the HQ. Whilst we don't know the specifics, the very idea of a big broadcaster like Channel Four coming to Bristol, it's it can only be a good thing for the city. Um, you know, talk about jobs, we talk about opportunities um, financially. Uh, think of the, you know, the number of people that would be coming as part of the move. Um, and then just generally for, you know, for the creative industries to say that we do have a national broadcaster on our doorstep, you know, there must have been something here to attract them in the first place. Um, so yeah, the finite details of numbers or stats, uh, I just, I, I don't know, but I think on paper channel 4 regional hub being in bristol albeit not the hq it's it's got to be a good thing what do we know do we know where who who got the hq no um so i think the final decision isn't till october please don't ask me who the final three cities are <laughs> uh i think birmingham i'm gonna say i think i think birmingham manchester and ah uh, i know glasgow was on the list that we were on but i don't know if they made the final cut someone please google um should we google it don't worry yeah don't worry. Um, I, ju- I just wondered whether whether we the, when we when we didn't get it we would it was because they'd announced no the yeah they it's basically still being decided right. um they've just uh, cut us off the, off the list yeah right. they've it was a short list that's got shorter yeah, yeah uh, right, right birmingham greater manchester and leeds oh, close so glasgow got cut too i i mean any any anyone want to hedge their bets on who's going to get it should we, should we have a little sweepstake in here i i would uh, very much suggest it can't birmingham. be manchester manchester have got the bbc but then it's got to be leeds I nah, Birmingham. I think Birmingham's um, not north enough. That's my feeling on yeah. that. Yeah, neither's Bristol. I mean, I guess that's well, why. No, that's why. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons but we didn't. I, I just think like Channel Four and Birmingham go hand in hand in terms of. I think I it can't be Manchester it, because they've got terms of media the city. cities up by that way, isn't it? You know, mm. the BBC is massive, and so it wouldn't make much sense to then have another one. Yeah, there'd be a turf war. It'd be like it Anchorman. Be a bit it'd be like that. Anchorman. There'd be, there'd be, you oh, know, could you imagine? There'd be reporters fighting in the streets. Channel Four, <laughs> Channel Four News. It's chaos. And, yeah, it's absolute, honestly, John Snow in the thick of it. It'd be an absolute nightmare. It'd be like an apocalyptic wasteland um, between Channel Four and BBC. I, I think, I, oh, for that reason though, yeah, that that would be a reason I suppose not to look at it from not going to Manchester. But I, I have, I just think something about Manchester and the fact it's now becoming the media city, or it already has become that with the bbc presence i just feel like that would be their go-to because there's already the infrastructure already set in up. place yeah and then maybe have um a satellite or a regional hub sorry in glasgow and cardiff for example and then you're kind of covering you know the media city the corners, of, of yeah. in the north of england you've got a presence in scotland one in wales Cardiff being, I suppose, geographically quite close to the southwest of England in terms of across the bridge. And no bridge fees. 
and no bridge fees from uh, the end of this year. End of this year, I think yeah. it is, yeah. So, and that was something that was mooted before when Bristol was in the shortlist was, you know, where will they go geographically? And I heard this idea of having kind of a central HQ somewhere like a Birmingham, maybe as far north as Manchester, and then the two smaller ones. I suppose that's the thing to remember as well is that it's going to be a a HQ, isn't it? So you don't want to be too far out of the way because there will people be going to and from and there's a lot of transport logistics issues with with television, isn't there? So maybe Birmingham would make sense in that you've got the M5 and it's easy to... I just... There's just something about it. You've just got a good feeling. I've got got a feeling. I just wonder if it's not not going to benefit enough because it's further south than than the other places. Mm. It's not going to... I'll be honest with you. It's not going to benefit as much. It's not based on anything real. (laughs) 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 Um, It's just... That it just seems like it feels like the right choice to me mm. out of the, those options. So Matt's voting Birmingham. So I'm voting Birmingham. I'm going to say Manchester, but I'm going to go Leeds just so, so we've okay. got the full set. Yeah, so, got got full set. so based on this, we've learned nothing <laughs> <laughs> about where it's going to go. That, I'm disappointed in uh, the fact that it's Bristol didn't, didn't make the list. Yeah. This is an interesting story that we've been covering, really, because. It has taken on a different tone. Our, our reporting's taken on a different tone to some of the usual stuff we do, hasn't it? In that we've been campaigning as an organisation, Bristol Live has been campaigning for Channel 4 to come here, basically. We are saying we are backing Bristol as a place for mm-hmm. the for the broadcast to, to come. That's not something that we do every day, is it? And it's not something that we do for everything because we like to keep balance. It, how has that sort of impacted your reporting on this? Um it's yeah i mean it's interesting because having an opportunity to really get stuck into a subject um it's quite not rare um but to be able to invest a bit of personality into a story is isn't you know as straightforward as it might sound because we do kind of have you know uh, a commitment to being impartial we need to make sure when we're covering news events and other bits and bobs we need to be balanced as much as readers might suggest we're not um that is at the heart of our reporting you know we need to make sure it's an even keel but when it comes to subjects that you know we can afford to to back um and we can afford to to, to lend our support to then it gives you as a reporter the, the kind of freedom to to write about it in a way that you want uh, and that's that's what I really kind of enjoyed out of the Channel 4 because it, it was a lot of work at times and I was thinking you know there's a deadline coming up and the long read that you did was a monster as well wasn't it was, it? I remember you were filing that and it you were sort of saying I've been here for ages now it <laughs> took this me, in. yeah that's the record probably longest piece I've written um, and probably the longest amount of time I've spent physically putting a story do you know how many words it was in the end I I can't forgotten the it, and we're talking thousands of words. Which, when we talk about story, the, the standard news lead is like a four hundred word yeah, piece yeah. with a headline and intro. This was thousands, and partly my own fault for doing a certain. I wanted it, every person I spoke to have the same sort of you know sort of space on the page. Um, so I kind of shot myself in the foot with that. But um, having that freedom to make those decisions on how it looks at the length. That comes with being, you know, a digital first publication. You know, the website doesn't run out of space like a paper does. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And yeah, and just being able to say this is something we support and, you know, give it the coverage I think it, it deserved um, is, is great from a reporting perspective. It's worth saying as well that this isn't a decision that was made by yourself as a reporter or by us as reporters. Sort of campaigning decisions will come from higher up, don't they? They will oh, come yeah. from, from the editor. They'll mm-hmm. come from above. But it's it's still nice to be given something to get behind, isn't it? Because we all live in Bristol. You know, all the reporters here live in Bristol. We work in Bristol. Our lives are basically, you know, surround Bristol. And it's really nice to try and do something where you think this is positive campaigning to try and make the city a better place or to, to yeah, bring yeah. something good. Is that something that you, you were sort of sat there thinking, this would be really nice if this comes yeah. off? Because- um, yeah, I mean, you summed it up really nicely. Like the, the Channel 4 coming to Bristol, there's no, there's no negative angle. There's no like, you know, double meaning to it. It's as plain and simple as that. And when, you know, you're right, the editor uh, here, Mike Norton, wanted a piece to coincide with Channel 4's visit. Um, And that is, you know, he spoke to me, but we spoke via, you know, various people in the newsroom and it was communicated down to me that we should get on board with this. And what was nice is, is because it was purely a positive 
story feature just to promote Channel 4 and Bristol. Everyone I kind of spoke to or asked if they'd like to contribute uh, was fully on board with it. You know, you didn't have to win them over. You didn't have to convince them this was a good idea. It was like, look, we're doing this. It's coincide with Channel 4 coming to Bristol. Do you want to be a part of it? And not, you know, there were, I think, two people who were genuinely unavailable. I think one was literally on a, a ship uh, going towards, like, Antarctica to, to see, you know, polar bears in the South Pole. Is that I what couldn't it? Yeah. tell you. It was something was really amazing. He, wasn't, I he see- wasn't on Boating with Boatface, was he? <laughs> no, <laughs> I remember seeing that email. I was like, that is the best excuse to not do something like speak to a reporter if I've ever seen one. So, um yeah, big up to that. But I can't remember they were called. Did you put, did you put them in saying such and such was not available was for bit, comment because <laughs> they, they want a boat with polar bears? <laughs> um, I really wish I had, actually, to be fair. the um, Yeah, in that that side of things is 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 brilliant. And that, that made doing this story and this campaigning stuff um, that much simpler. Because, as you know, with some of the stories we do, uh, you do have to ring up people uh, and sometimes they're not all... They're not all positive stories and you do have to speak to people and give them you know the right of reply and comment and you have to explain to them why you're doing a story which they might see as being entirely negative but that's your you know that's kind of the day-to-day or certainly a scenario we're faced with each week so to be given something which I knew would be positive for a change um, I was more than happy to to get on board with. On a personal level, do you like seeing campaigning stories as well? Sort of from the post, we've done quite a lot, you know, from Bristol Live, we've done quite a lot of campaigning stories. But then other places as well, you see them, you know, um, you see a front page, you know, where there's a success or there's a campaign. Do you like seeing them? Is that something that you sort of think that's good of that? I think think it genuinely is one of the, the cornerstones of local journalism and something that we should continue to do as much as we can. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, we talk about, being a voice for our cities and we talk about trying to represent their views and be in tune with you know the things that are affecting our readers and our readers you know of the paper of bristol post of the website bristol live you know these are people living and working in bristol so if there's a problem affecting them we should be in tune with it we should be reporting on it and you know campaigning is like i say it's something that we should we have a platform at the end of the day and i think used correctly used for the right things um can have really meaningful change and we've seen that with you know some of the campaigns that um bronwyn weatherby's done um who's a regular on the podcast and she seems to be the campaigning journalist isn't she, it? We, i mean we she's were talking fan- about all you know trying to come up with some of the campaigns that we've done previously and quite a few of them are hers <laughs> yeah i mean she's fantastic at it um and you can tell just from reading the copy and, and you know, fortunately being able to talk to her about it as well and, and learn about what's gone into it behind the scenes. You know, she really deeply cares about those subjects. And I'm thinking, you know, primarily here about street lives, you know, which started as kind of a an idea, I think, or a discussion in the newsroom to kind of look at the issue of homelessness in Bristol and became a series um, of really impactful powerful journalism um and we you know in a digital first newsroom i think it's very easy to get caught up in what performs well statistically or what performs well in terms of readers but i think what you know the the, the sort of thing for me for for local journalism is when you read a story and it's genuinely affected you or you know you've read it and you've it stayed on your mind those are the stories for me that you know i'm remembering them now from having read it 10 months ago and that is the power of a successful story in my mind um and all of those for street lives particularly you know they hit the nail on the head um we can't campaign on every issue obviously um but i think when when there is an opportunity to do it for the right sort of topic i think it's it's exactly the type of thing particularly on a local level local journalism that's exactly what we should be doing yeah no i think you're completely right and i one of the other things that's really nice to see is when something changes as a result of stories that you've written as well. When Even if it's not necessarily campaigning or even when it is campaigning or sometimes it's just as a result of the stories you've written, you can see the the change, you know, happen. You know, something mm. will happen that, and you think, oh, that was why I got into this job. Um, a recent example, I'm here to blow my own trumpet, that's why I'm <laughs> on this podcast. Um, a recent example that I had was I was writing a lot about uh, AIDS awareness because uh, the police force put out a statement which basically said that you could 
it's suggested that you could catch HIV through saliva, which is complete falsehood. It's not true. And campaigners picked up the police on this and said, this is not true. Can you please retract this statement? The police were really resistant. Avon and Somerset police were really resistant to retracting the statement and correcting their falsehood. I think because they felt it might undermine the message that they were trying to put across. And the message was, we're going to use spit guards to protect on, use spit guards on suspects to protect our officers, which... I think everyone thought was base broadly okay to protect officers from being spat at is a, mm. a positive thing to do. And we were a number of stories. And to be honest, the hard work was done by the campaigners and things like that. It was done by AIDS awareness groups and mm. who had been lobbying the police. But eventually it was revealed that the that it came from national guidance. The the falsehood had come from national guidance and then a couple of weeks ago the police changed the national guidance. And all of a sudden you see something like that and you think, Wow, you know, yeah. that's exactly why. Yeah, I do this job basically. Yeah, it's just it validates all the work you put into something, isn't it? That's like I say, it's the end goal, it's the end thing. If you can impact some meaningful change, then you know that your stories have achieved something. Which you know, that's exactly as a, as a, like I say, as a local journalist, you you live for those moments. It's interesting that you say about the statistics as well, because there is a bit of a perception that local papers now or local news websites are so obsessed with clicks that that's the only reason they do things but from the reporter's point of view that doesn't seem to be the case does it no you know what are your thoughts on sort of having the platform and then you know the clicks being yeah part of that? i mean there's no point getting away from the fact that we need people to click on articles to you know generate profit through advertising to maintain the business model that we have it's that you know that that is sort of the, the basic concept is more complicated than that I'm sure but as a reporter you know and, and all of the reporters I think you know, we live and work in Bristol and we are we like to think I think reflective of as many different people as we can be and, and in tune with our communities and, and where we live um, so the model exists uh, to pay for local journalism and it's it it does kind of go full circle you know you have the, the clicks through on an article it generates a certain amount of of money for the business the business pays our salaries it allows us to report on stories and we kind of go around again but i think as a reporter your priority is to the readers and your priorities are should always be about you know finding and sourcing stories that are of importance to your readers you i think the the, the second that you get caught up in well that story's not going to get you know, certain amount of hits, should I even bother doing it? Um, and, and yeah, those conversations have been had on some level, I'm sure, because, you know, the business is always moving. It's it's changing the way we report and what we report on. That's absolutely fine. But I think the the basic premise of a reporter is, is to report stories. Um, and you need to, I think, you know when you have a good story, you know. Um, not everyone's, not everyone, you everything you write is going to be an absolute killer. But I think that's the you know that's the skills um that a reporter brings to the table is knowing the stories they have knowing what works uh, hopefully online and in paper and in the paper but yeah the conversation about whether you know a reporter weighs up click throughs or or number of hits on a story that's just well certainly not for me that's just not something that i you know, I don't judge a story so- solely on that basis because, quite frankly, there are things we need to report that we know maybe won't drive uh, or interest an audience, you know, in their thousands, but it's vital journalism that, that we do. I think you need to... Uh, there's it, there's a difference between providing for and, and pandering. Mm. So I think it's like just being in a position where you are providing whatever it is that people are wanting to read mm. on top of doing the covering the important topics but not ever pandering to it to the point where you're removing those really important topics on the basis that they're not yeah you know mm. the top stories of of the week or whatever mm. um, because it does that doesn't mean that they're not important um yeah but yeah that's that's kind of how i see it it's like there's, there is a slight difference between just providing that value to people the providing all of the you know the the more light-hearted or the more um i guess like some of the more shallow articles um to to the readers but without actually fully pandering to that and just going after yeah. that that type of story because mm. that's not going to be long long lived people will will get bored pretty quickly I think. Yeah. there seems to be a, i think there's a perception as well which is a bit of a mistake that we get paid per <laughs> click as well you know you get people like, oh yeah they get money per click but that's not the way that it works yeah. but 
um, to be honest, as you said, it's more complicated and it's way above our pay bracket. Yeah. It's not really something in terms of how our organisation makes money. That's not something that we worry about. Mm. But what we are well aware of is that we have a platform in order to tell stories that people want to tell and that people want to read as well. And it is important that people want to read them because there's no point in doing a story that no one's going to read. Is Absolutely, there? Yeah. But then there's very few stories that no one in the world would ever read, you know, and there's very few stories that are not important to anyone at all. Mm. And I think it's really important to sustain the platform that we have to tell stories, but then also to tell the stories, you know, from wherever they come from, from, you know, however important, however frivolous, however in-depth or however quick and easy, I think we can tell all of those stories, can't we? Mm. Yeah. I mean, how often has it happened where you've, you've done one of those sort of little stories as a favour to someone that, you know, is trying to raise money in their little local community and and you know maybe, okay, it's not going to generate whatever online, but it's it's important to do. And how often, you know, several months later, does that sort of story lead into something else? They let you know about something, you know, a contact or maybe the money they were raising goes on to, you know, make some significant changes in their area and they tell you, because they remember you doing that story, you know, 10 months ago and you get it first, you get that story mm-hmm. first. And it's, it's now it's something much bigger. Um, that, I'd, I'd is this something example. that someone always said that always stuck with me, which is provide, um, in a relationship, provide 52% of the effort because 48% is a lot <laughs> like that's <laughs> So it's like, just, you know, go out of your way to help when you can. And that will inevitably lead you somewhere else. Mm. Um, that that is worth a place worth being and yeah I think and personally I if I had the time I think I would write every story that came into my inbox as well you know every story that came in because I think that they all have value and they all have value to someone but obviously there is finite resources there's limited number of reporters and we have to measure our time between what is important Mm. you know what really is important and what sort of the stories that need to be told but i think yeah if i had unlimited time or unlimited reporters i'd be doing every (laughs) every fundraising campaign and every lovely thing that came in um except maybe some of the the businesses that are trying to get some free advertisements through (laughs) which they you get some emails and you think new yes yes you just come back from holiday avenue which is one of yeah um, uh, yeah that's one of the joys that's going through 100 i was dreading the amount i had i was actually pleasantly surprised to see because we've recently changed our emails i don't think some of the previous uh offenders offenders <laughs> shall we call them um had cottoned on to that fact so i actually had significantly less than a, my usual uh time away amount which was brilliant <laughs> so uh, let's go back to the important question then are channel four going to bring back deal or no deal have you asked that question yet? I don't <laughs> think he works for Channel 4. <laughs> yeah. He's the journalist. He's the person He's questions. not in that uh, chair. Yeah. I would love to see Deal or No Deal back on our screens, but I cannot give you an answer to that. Right, that's our next, ca- <laughs> that's next ca- our next campaign. Then. Let's get on with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get right in about it. From page splash, bring back Noel. <laughs> He's actually got a Bristol connection as well, I'm thinking. He used to live here, but right, Deal or No Deal used to be filmed here and he was living here. That's, that's a solid link. I don't know it. if we can run this or not, but there was a story that he bought a taxi in order for him to be able to drive in bus lanes. I heard Do you that, that. Yeah. Oh, I heard. We'll check that out. And if that's true, okay. leave this in because that's good. That's gold. I like, yeah. <laughs> that's material. Okay. That's yes. material. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. Woody, thank you very much <laughs> for going to chat to thank us about you. Channel 4. Thanks, mate. Really disappointing news for Bristol that we're not going to be home to the new Channel 4 HQ, but still some positive news. Quite exciting that we could still have a regional hub built in the area, which is really exciting. Anyway, let's jump into our final conversation with Chris, who is going to be talking about breaking news. My name is Christian Davis and I am a news reporter. All right, go on then. Should be podcast <laughs> <laughs> aspiring podcast presenter mm. christian davis okay. um right so chris we are here to, to talk about uh breaking news and particularly something that that happened yesterday where it all sort of kicked off didn't it yeah busy day yesterday so the kind of core part to the um the live news shifts for which we have an early and the late obviously you're the in-house I'm early the guy these days early guy. i'm yeah. in at seven each morning which i think is enviable and not as well yeah i don't deal well I, it feels like it goes quick and you get to go home nice and early but the getting up early is tricky yeah it, by the time you get to about thursday you just feel a little bit yeah. zombified and you think i would love a late shift mm. but then when you're on the late shift you don't want to do the late shifts either so yeah so as you know the core parts of that is um around like a few other stories you might be working on the core aspect is the live blog 
and just reacting to anything that's happening around the city predominantly stuff police putting out uh, on stuff that's going on and for some reason yesterday there was an absolute shed load of breaking news stuff including um a an incident in st george where the road was shut so we weren't wondering what was going on it took a little while to figure out what it was as well didn't it all we had was like a travel update that just said uh, air balloon road is closed from here to here yeah. due to an incident i think it wasn't we were like what is what yeah is it really wasn't very clear yesterday i'm not really sure why it took them a while to properly sort it out but it was kind of a combination of a police incident and um uh a crash so it took them a while to kind of work out exactly what to say um but yeah it kind of turned out that it was a uh a uh police chase that culminated in the guy who was getting chased smashing into a load of parked cars and getting arrested rugby tackled by the police apparently so yeah pretty dramatic so it all, it all kicked off basically in yeah. St George I've got a mate that lives around the, around the corner from there and he refers to it as South Hannam because he I think he's trying to keep his house prices up to be honest is South Hannam nicer is Hannam uh, yeah, nicer I, d- I guess that's the argument but I don't really know Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't tell you the, the problem with us recording this podcast right now is that I'm on the early breaking new shift and you're on the you've late you've done no work breaking, <laughs> yeah I've done no work today because <laughs> I've been podcasting and you're on the late breaking new shift yeah and we overlap for an hour and we're both in this room so, <laughs> so yeah, if anything's happening now I apologise yeah, yeah we, we apologise there'll be it. nothing so breaking news is obviously a massive part of what any newsroom does but is it something that you find that you thrive at is it something that you're quite good at when it happens yeah, I think, well, I don't know, that's for other people to judge. I think you're rubbish. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, mean, it, it's a f- I mean, it's a funner part of the job. You have to be very switched on. Uh, you get to write a lot and about a lot of different stuff. Um, I like crime writing and reporting on crime, so I, I do enjoy it personally. Um, obviously, there's some occasions where it's, it's kind of slightly more depressing and a bit sad and... Um, yeah, but you react to that in a different way. But um, it, yeah, it's quite a fun shift generally. Um, as you say, it can be tiring. You're you're kind of on it for eight hours straight, whereas perhaps on a a normal shift you might be a bit more switched off and you have time to research stuff and make phone calls, etc. But um, on the live shift, yeah, you're you're waiting for stuff to come in, keeping your eye across multiple th- platforms in case anything kicks off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's varied, so it keeps it keeps it interesting. It is always flat out as well, isn't it? Because a city of half a million people, there is something happening every second of the day. You know, there is always some sort of crime happening or there is, you know, there's some sort of crash, whether it's a minor one or a massive one. And then there's protests and all sorts of things that you've got to be keeping an eye on, haven't you? You know, that you've got to be, when you're on that live shift, because it's your responsibility to keep an eye out for all breaking news. You've just got to keep your eye on everything, haven't you? Exactly, you know? yeah. And keep your ears open. Yeah. That's what is great about the the blogs, I think, um, which like Reach as a group is starting to use more widespread. Um, but being able to just kind of start a new one, give people the information in a really consumable way, um, digestible way with lots of updates, puts you in control as well. You're, you're not sat there having to bash out like a 300 word story, get it online and then wait for other updates. You're literally just reeling them off as they come you can drop in small things to keep it going and then people are engaged you see kind of like um with our thing that tells us how many people are watching at that point you'll see kind of like 100 plus people are reading the blog waiting to see what's happening next and it's a good way of keeping yourself on your toes and you know the readers are going to be kind of on ten hooks waiting to see what's happening it's one of the big changes of reporting online isn't it is that once upon a time people would have come into work they would have looked for breaking news stories but they wouldn't have put them out immediately they would have been going in a paper in 24 hours time or sometimes in a week's time you know i've worked on weekly papers Mm. where something would happen we wouldn't tell anyone about it for a week because we were waiting for it to go in the paper yeah have you noticed that change as well where everything's way more immediate now yeah definitely even even at places i've worked before um you kind of put up a holding article saying this has happened more to follow and it's a really slow way of doing things and you have to go back in either put up another story update that one and then there might be another detail that comes out later on you'd have to add it again and then by the time it actually reaches the paper it's kind of all in these chunks that don't really connect whereas with a blog you have a bit of a flow you you then look back on it and you so the way we do things at the moment is doing a story once we have some idea of what's happened we say like everything we know so far 
And then if there's been any kind of significant statement from the emergency services, you do that as well, um, which is, it, it makes it easier for people to find those certain parts that they might be more interested in the rest. Um, the everything we know so far is good. It's like digestible, breaks it down and makes it easier for people to catch up if they've if they've perhaps missed the blog and don't want to have to scroll down. So those are more thing. traditional stories, aren't they? Everything we know stories are kind of, we've yeah, got exactly. all of the information we have in one article that is just sort of, just a block of text basically yeah. isn't it but then the live blogs are constantly updated feeds aren't they where you you put something in you click submit and there's a timeline basically yeah. of everything that happened and when it happened as can well. i ask a question what's the anxiety like when you're trying to find breaking news like when you're looking across all different well, platforms trying before, like before at when there's nothing going on Bef- and you yeah think- and you're trying to find something and you're like something must be going on there's half a million people in the city but you're at, at what point do you start thinking oh everyone's going to start I mean, this just might be me because I'm an anxious person. But, <laughs> but like, at what point will do you think people start looking, going, "Is he doing anything?" Do you, I do think you that, get that? I think that about Alex a lot. To yeah. <laughs> but, it, do you not? Know <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, I wonder. I wonder what. Like, is there an anxiety no, uh, to to it? It's a bit different to maybe what you would think. I I feel like it's not a matter of waiting for stuff to happen, but be- because of the kind of technology that we have and the the sites that we use and stuff that's available to us we often it will either come to us through our readership people messaging us on facebook is like a massive part of how we find breaking news so thank you for that and um also just social media in general is a great tool um you'll see someone tweeting about something in on the m5 or well not if they're driving hopefully but somewhere um passengers about, tweeting yeah, on the m5, passengers <laughs> tweeting on the M5. <laughs> something happening somewhere and usually they'll be kind of spot on about what's going on and you can look into that is that there like you... a is there like an adrenaline adrenaline aspect to it when you're as you're trying to get something up as quickly as possible definitely yeah De- in, when you found something and you're kind of getting it chucking the story online that that's adrenaline and you want to be accurate it's, it's the kind of key to the job in general but you want to be quick accurate and have it be well written as well so it's kind of a combination of concentrating all those things it does give you a bit of a rush and it is fun um yeah i think the when you're waiting around for things to happen like you say there's it's not a case of kind of waiting for massive stuff to happen i think that breaking news tends to come in a few different sort of scales so there's always small stuff going on isn't there you know you come into work and there will have been enough that happened overnight to give you things to do so you come in and one of the first things that we do is sort of check national newspapers see if there's any stories that they've got that have got bristol connection but also check the emergency services a lot of emergency services put stuff out on social media and there's all sorts of police appeals there's missing people you know there's low level crime and there's usually a, a bit of a stream of that stuff that you can do throughout the day isn't there you type stuff up yeah. you get that online that sort of lower level and then the fire service get called out i couldn't even tell you how many times a day and they provide updates on stuff that they've done as well but then there is kind of a that's a sort of low level of day-to-day things and then there is a case of keeping an eye out for anything that is bigger isn't it you know and yeah. you can tell those because more than one person usually will come to you won't they and they'll say have you seen this and then someone else will say have you seen this and that's when you know you've got something that is a bit is a bit a bigger scale as well, yeah. isn't it? Do you reckon people come to us in different ways than they have done in the past as well? Um, definitely, yeah. I mean, Facebook is a thing. I'd say, like, most of our breaking news stories come from Facebook messages now, which is obviously something that would not have happened um, a few years ago. Um, but having said that, people calling in, people emailing in, obviously email is still a modern thing, but a bit uh, more recent than, than Facebook messaging. But, um, I mean... To, to at at a newspaper in a tweet and say this is happening or send something, send a video over Twitter is pretty nuts when you think about it that people, the general public can communicate with us in that way and that can lead to a, a story that will do really well for us and be really interesting to the audience. And it's a conversation as well, isn't it? Because they'll engage with us publicly and we can talk to them and say, if we already know exactly, about it, we'll yeah. say, we're working on it, we'll be with you short, yeah. shortly. Or if someone's at the scene rather than being told about it an hour or two later, we can say, oh, if you're there, would you be able to snap yeah. a quick picture of the emergency services and things like that? Yeah. So there's much more of a relationship between the between us as a news organisation and witnesses to stuff as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah it, is, it is immediate. So 
yeah, there's the conversation. So yesterday's a perfect example. Um, so we became aware of the incident on, uh, it was on Air Balloon Road in St. George. So that later we became aware of exactly what it was, but that all came from uh, someone emailing us because they literally driven up, seen that it was closed and been turned away by the police. She immediately emailed us at 2.30 yesterday, which is 20 minutes after the police had started chasing this bloke on um, Two Mile Hill Road, I think. Um, and yeah, that quickly. Uh, so the crash would have happened kind of 10 minutes before maybe. She was she emailed us. We immediately sent a photographer and within kind of 15 minutes-ish, it was on our website. When that sort of thing happens as well, do you feel you still feel a need to be kind of healthily sceptical about when these things come in because we get a lot of reports and sometimes they're just wrong or they're false or they're just made up, you know? So do you have to sort of come at it with a scepticism and be like, right, okay, we've had this report, but let's check it out before we do anything. So you kind of prepare what, so you prepare a live blog essentially, um, but you don't necessarily publish it. You kind of, you, you make, you put your calls into the police, to the fire service, to the ambulance see if there's anything to it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the the woman yesterday emailed and said um, the road's closed, that I've been turned away by the police, but she, it was possible she could have meant one lane is shut, which is a completely different thing. Um, generally speaking, it's a much more serious incident if the whole road's shut. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you have to work it out from there. Um, but, oh, lost my... <laughs> completely stopped thinking that. Uh <laughs> What was the question? Um, do you have to maintain a healthy scepticism? Yeah. Or an unhealthy scepticism. Maybe you just, yes, answer that. Yeah, maybe you just don't trust anyone. Like, you just look into it, don't you? Yeah. What's he going to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Just believe everything. Yeah, yeah. Never ask a question you don't already know the answer Call to. Call me and I will put it up on Journalist, the website. Journalism 101. <laughs> Call me and tell me something's happened. It will end up at the top of our website. No worries. <laughs> um... Yeah, do you want to ask it again in mind? Or well, I no, said quite a bit, on. that was fine. Just jump in, just, just jump in. in. Yeah. Should I clap? <laughs> if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, so as long as you kind of check with all the possible authorities and they kind of confirm something's happened, that's fine. Or yesterday, in terms of like traffic stuff, you'll usually see some sort of reaction on Google traffic. There'll be a big red line where this reported incident will be, which usually tells you something's happened. And that is usually enough for us to react to it in some way and we can also we also try and corroborate stories from witnesses as well don't we you know where we yeah. seem to have a rule of if you get it from multiple witnesses there's no set number is there for how many witnesses have to come yeah. forward with something for us to sort of <laughs> to report what they've said but try we try and go for three don't you, you know what i mean if three people report something to you or three people's stories make sense then we tend to think right okay that's more legitimate because you can add yeah. that the reason that i ask actually is because there was something that happened earlier this week where we had an email from a gentleman who said there has been an armed police incident in part of Bristol. Uh, and he said, I haven't seen it anywhere. Have you guys seen this? And I said, oh, no. You know, I emailed him back saying, no, we haven't seen anything about this. Can you give me a call and we'll chat, talk it through? He told me what he saw. He basically said that he saw <laughs> a he saw a person sat on a bench, on a uh, park bench with a knife outside of a pub. And there was armed police all surrounding him, pointing an assault rifle at him. And I thought, oh, wow. I mean, It'd be surprised if we hadn't heard of something like that. It happened at quarter to quarter four in the afternoon, this guy said. And I looked into it and I phoned the police and they had nothing on it. They said any armed police incidents, they get alerted to quite quickly to pass, you know, because we're bound to be asking about that at some point because people will see it and there was nothing. So you have to be careful sometimes when someone does report something, even if it sounds convincing, you do need to, to check your sources, don't you really? And we don't just publish stuff willy nilly. It is always checked out, you know what I mean, to a, to a high level as well. Yeah, so I've, I've never had someone lie to me like as blatantly as that, assuming that's what that was. But yeah, like fires are usually the big fires are the perfect example of when like everyone reacts and will send us stuff because you can see stuff from all over the city, smoke, uh, big plumes of smoke. So the, the amount of times that's happened since I've been here is, yeah, is, is good because, yeah, you get a lot of pictures from loads of different angles and a lot of video too. And it's always quite good to be able to, when someone comes to you and says, have you seen this? When you've already seen it and you've got a story together, it does make you feel quite good as well. Yeah. You go, yeah, we're obviously the best place to come to you for that because we've already got it as you're asking about it as well. Um, 
but also like with with again with the public coming forward it's like someone police turning me away from a road uh my initial thought wouldn't be i better tell the paper it should be matt you it should be and i work here like (laughs) but but like do you know what i mean i i I just i just think it's a great it's great that, that the public are there to actually that is a thought that enters the head i mean for most people that wouldn't be something that they would necessarily consider but to think like oh i want to know more i want to find out what's going on so and i'm going to tell the paper know as well yeah yeah and and then hopefully we'll i'll get more information down the line or whatever it's it's great that like that's such a big part of it mm. or it se- at least it seems to be yeah we have the public to thank for like a lot of our really good stories i think and especially breaking news wise um a lot of this stuff would kind of go unheard if if we weren't if it, the alarm wasn't raised by by people and, and likewise i would always kind of encourage people to come to us if they've got a problem that they want to do something about because um whether you like us or not sometimes we do manage to kind of um influence change which is what it's all about really and i think the good thing about breaking news is that it is tends to be universally helpful it's helpful to everyone in bristol to have a news organization that is keeping an eye on things and letting you know when something happens because i think we all, i think it's a right to be able to know what's going on in your community as well i don't think that it's an it's entertainment or i don't think it's a privilege i think it is a right to be able to see something happening in your street and to be able to find out more information from a reputable source which is what we are you know we we check out the information that we publish and we have relationships with the police and fire service and i think it's really good that people can come to us and say what's happening here And can you let other people know about this as well? And that we have the facilities to go and search that out. And that's something that if we weren't here, it wouldn't happen. You know, you'd see these things out in your street and it would just become a rumour mill of people whispering, you know, this is what's happened, this is what happened. There's no way of checking out what's actually happened. Because that can happen too, can't it? You hear like something will have happened that we are aware of. And then we'll start hearing various different things about the exact details. If if there's like a a stabbing or a shooting or something, you hear all these these rumours that have been passed around. And then... Yeah, ultimately, it's up to us to give the actual truth. Chris, thanks very much for joining us. No worries. Cheers. So breaking news is really one of the most important parts of the newsroom that we do here. And it's always sort of a bit manic when something happens. Everyone's trying to scramble around, get photographers down to the scene. So it's really good of Chris to come in and talk to us a little bit about how we cover those situations and how we handle it as reporters as well. Right. That is the end of this week's show. Thanks again so much for listening. Thank you, Matt, for joining. Uh, always for a pleasure. Doing a stellar job of production every week. <laughs> always classic. Makes me sound great. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard work. but It is very hard yeah, work. Yeah, is, it takes that. a while. This is, we've been in it. <laughs> for days now. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah th- that is the end of this week's show don't forget you can follow us on twitter at ibl podcast also rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcast wherever you get your podcast from and we will see you next week goodbye